then you can turn to 1 Timothy, because that's where we'll be. Um, as you know, we, we opening up first through third, we still haven't, we still haven't done fourth and fifth grade yet. Uh, we are needing some additional just children's helpers. Uh, we not only need them downstairs, but also upstairs. Uh, we've just been blessed with a plethora of, of children, and it is amazing just the opportunity we have in discipling and coming alongside and encouraging. Uh, but we need your help as we all, as one family, come alongside and build and strengthen one another up. Uh, so if you are willing to do that, or if you wouldn't mind just having more information about that, we'd love to give that to you so you can be praying and considering. Uh, Bobby Gaither uh, was here last week. And uh, he preached, he was one of my friends and a uh, uh, pastor down uh, in Hillsborough, Oregon. And he just wanted me to let you know how grateful he was to be able to be here with you and what a blessing you all were to him. And so uh, I'm just bringing his thanks to you. He felt very loved and welcomed by you. Uh, so we're going to be in First Timothy today. Uh, we've kind of done a, a little mini-series on leadership. We've looked at elders and deacons. Uh, what we did is we saw the elders are called to equip the church uh, with the word of God so that we would stand firm in trials. We saw that the primary qualification of leaders is the presence of God in them. And now today we're, we're going to kind of just uh, put an end to this series. And the way we're going to do that is by not highlighting any particular position but just simply looking at how we go about the ministry that God has given us and the hope that we have as we serve one another or wherever it is that God has placed us. And so we're going to look at 1 Timothy because in this letter, Paul has left Timothy. Timothy is his young protege, and he, the church of Ephesus to pastor the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus now has some problems. False teachers have come into the church. They're causing division. They're moving people away from the truth and the hope of the gospel. Rather than being characterized by love and unity and peace, the church is characterized by arrogance, pride, division, and selfishness. And so Timothy has this huge job, and he's young. I mean, chapter 4, verse 12, Paul will say, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. So he has um, a huge situation, a huge ministry in front of him. And this is very, very common today for pastors coming out of seminary. There are many pastors, they're young guys, 20-something, coming out of seminary, and they're going into churches that are not healthy. And there are a lot of just very unhealthy. We're all growing in our health, but there are just a lot of churches that are unhealthy because of false teaching, because of poor leadership, because of coming and uniting around something other than the gospel. And many of these pastors are kind of eaten and then spit out. Uh, and that is unfortunately a common occurrence that has happened. But it's not true of only church leaders or pastors that have a difficult job in ministry, but the same can be for every one of us, because if you are saved, the Spirit has come into you that you would have a ministry. And we'll look at that. There's many ways that we serve. Our families, our work, our neighborhoods, our school, our friends' houses, our soccer teams, our football teams, baseball teams, restaurants that we go to, the gym that we go to, uh, the coffee shops that we're at, these are all places 
that God has called us to minister, and especially here, even within our local church. And so Timothy, he has this uphill battle, but we are too. We might have age, either younger or older, something that we're battling. We might have a past that says, you know what? You're not going to be listened to because of these things that has happened. We often think that one another, that people are kind of the problems in ministry. Uh, recently was, uh, somebody said, you know, the, the best thing about church is ministry. Uh, the worst thing about, or the best thing about church is people. The hardest thing about church is people also. And there's kind of a truth to that. Uh, but what we see is that the people are not the enemy. But we do have an enemy. And the enemy is Satan, and he wants he wants you to fail. He wants me to fail. He wants us as a church to not center around the gospel, but to be divided on politics or anything else. And so Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1, verse 18, towards the end of the first chapter, he says, wage the good war- warfare. And so he says, look, you're going to have to persevere in this. You're going to have to endure. You are in a spiritual battle. It's not against one another. It's not flesh and blood. And so today we're going to look at how do we do this? Because we're all in a ministry. We're all called to serve inside the church. We're all called to serve outside the church. And so there's two questions I just want us to to answer today. Number one, how do we do the ministry God has given us? Just wherever you're at, how do we do the ministry that God has given us? And number two, what is our hope? Like as we do this ministry and we're serving one another, we're loving one another, whether that's, whether that's a, a husband trying to shepherd an unbelieving wife or a wife loving her unbelieving husband or trying to be a light at work. What is our hope that people will actually change? Because I might go, okay, God's given me strength, but is anything actually going to happen? Have you ever wondered that? You're like with these people, whether it's work or at home, and you're just going, been there a long time. Is anything happening? And so we're going to look at what is... Uh, How do we do ministry? And number two, what is our hope? This is what we're going to answer. So to do that, we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. And so I want to go ahead and encourage you to stand as we read God's word today. And again, we say this every week, but we stand not just to do some traditional or to, to create some tradition, but we do so because this word is breathed out by God. And this is just a simple way to remind us that this book stands above every other book for it comes with the very authority of God so here we go chapter 1 verse 12 this is Paul speaking he says I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service though formerly I was a blasphemer persecutor an insolent opponent but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are the king of ages. You are immortal. You are incorruptible. And you are invisible. You are present with us at every moment of the day at all places. 
And God, you are the one true God. There is no other God. You are the reason that we are here. You are the one who has sent your son Jesus to die on the cross that we could be forgiven. You are the one who has saved us. You are the one who has given us life. You are the one who has adopted us into your family, and it's all by grace. And so, Lord, now as we look at how you've called us to live, at the ministry that you've given us, may we not look inward at ourselves, but may we look to you and understand the grace that you give us and understand how you are working right now powerfully in this world for the whole purpose that one day your son will return and you will gather a people, you will gather your bride, the church, that we would dwell with you for all of eternity. And we long for that day. So Lord, I pray as we're in this text, increase our longing for your return. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So question number one, how do we do the ministry God has given us? So that's what we're going to answer first, because that's what comes first. So we're going to be in verse 12, and what we're going to see is that the gospel is sufficient to strengthen us for the work of the ministry. Now, many of you might know who Paul is. If you don't, in the New Testament, he's a pretty important guy. The New Testament is made up of 27 letters. He wrote 13 of them. He went on many missionary journeys where he planted the church, where he planted churches, he proclaimed the gospel, he encouraged churches, uh, encouraged believers to run the race. And, and often, uh, we kind of stand in awe of him because really, he's this amazing example that we have of what it looks like to run the race, uh, to be faithful to the ministry that God has given us. And so he's a great example of one who follows Christ. In fact, one of the stories that just stands out uh, in his life, and one that I particularly just, every time I come to you, I'm in awe, is in Acts 14, where Paul, he's on one of his missionary journeys, and he goes to Lystra. And when he goes to Lystra, he proclaims the gospel. Crowds form. They get angry. They stone him right there. They believe that he's dead. And they drag his lifeless body outside the city like an animal, and they throw him there. And they leave him. And, and those who are with Paul are kind of gathered around, they're thinking that he's dead, and, and then they see him move. And they realize he's not dead. So after however long that takes to get up from a stoning, he gets up. Now I just want to, what would you do next? What would you do? Where would you go? Paul goes back to Lystra. Like, it's just like, really? Go somewhere else. Stay outside the city. He goes back in because he wants to proclaim the gospel. Because he wants to show love to those who have persecuted him, just as Christ did. And so, then we go, but why did, or how did he do this? And what we're going to see today, it's because, not because of him, has nothing to do with who Paul was as a man and had everything to do with who Christ is inside of him. You see, it's because of the strength of Jesus that Paul goes back in. And this is why when we read about Paul and he writes in his letters, imitate me. I don't know if you've been one of those people, but maybe you're in a Bible study and you're doing one of Paul's letters like Corinthians and Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we all then ask the question, Okay, how's that not boastful? How's that not arrogant? I mean, if, any, if I told you guys, hey, just live like me, you'd be like, 
Like, is that really what we're called to do? And if Paul is saying, imitate me because of what I do, because of how I live, because of my strength, because of my powers, because of my abilities, then it would be arrogant. It would be prideful. But what we see is that Paul says, imitate me because he knows that it's God inside him strengthening for the ministry. Look at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus. That's why Paul goes back to Lystra. That's why Paul proclaims the gospel. That's why Paul endures through difficulty. It's not because of who Paul is in and of himself. He's not just that determined, that hard-headed. But it's because of the grace of the gospel that is inside of him. And the same truth applies to every single Christian. And so so coming back here, Paul is encouraging Timothy to stand firm. And so he does so by, Timothy, don't worry about your age. Don't worry about what you don't know. Don't worry about the stubbornness of those in the church. Don't be afraid of Satan. Why, Timothy? Because of Christ in you. Because of his strength that is empowering you. That is greater than any obstacle that you will incur. And that's the truth that we all share as believers, as Christians. I want you to just think, men, you're called to shepherd your wives. Wives, you're called to submit to your husbands. Children are called to obey their parents. Fathers, we're called not to embitter our children. We're called to be gentle and loving with them. We're called to share the gospel with our neighbor. We're called to display patience and gentleness with those who are arrogant We're called to love those in the church that in the church are sometimes not loving. I mean, does any of that seem hard at times? That's that's where we live. And there's probably a million other examples that we could add on to those. And so how do we do it? It's all by the strength of Christ. God does not command you to do anything without also giving you the grace and strength to accomplish it. Do you know that? God does not command you to do anything without also giving you the grace and strength to accomplish it. Now, Satan will whisper lies in your head all day long. He'll say things like, you you can't be a godly husband. He'll say, "You're, you're not worthy to serve in the church. He'll say, you, you're a failure. All you do is let people down. He'll say, you should sit back and let someone else do it. You say, you, you're not qualified. You are, in fact, you are, in fact, disqualified because of previous sins, because of how you've lived in the past. You ever hear those things? Do you ever wrestle with those things? And do you see what, do you see what Satan's doing? He's, he's wanting you to focus on the difficulty of your circumstances or the fear of yourself. That's constantly what sin is going to do. It's going to constantly be directing ourselves our attention inward to our abilities, to our resources. And there are some of us who can feel very arrogant and prideful when that happens because we actually look at ourselves and we go, I can do this, and I I can run, and I can lead anyone, and I can make these things happen. And then there's the other side where we look at ourselves and we go, well, I can't do it. I don't have any abilities. And for both of those people, God is saying, stop looking at yourself and your abilities and resources. And he's saying, look inward to the strength that I give you, to the grace that I give you to do ministry. 
This is what we need to remind ourselves every day. Like when we wake up and we read the word, we're reminding ourselves of the gospel, of how we've been saved and who now lives in us and strengthens us every single day. He's given us a spirit, his spirit, so we'd be empowered for ministry. I mean, and think about this. It's because the success of ministry is based on God's strength and not our own that he uses us. That's not meant to flatter you. Like, it's because of his strength that ministry works, not us. Like, it's, it's because it's his strength in us that he uses that which often appears foolish. That's you and me. If you read 1 Corinthians 1, he talks about how God loves to use that which is foolish in this world. Which is why, in the Old Testament, we'll see things like a little shepherd boy goes and slays the giant. And you're like... That doesn't make any sense. Or when Jesus in the New Testament picks out 12 disciples, they're made up of tax collectors and, and fishermen. And you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Or when you have a church, and he says, you are the ones who are going to go boldly proclaim my name, and you are going to be the means in which my kingdom is advanced in the world. And it kind of appears kind of foolish, right? And we go, well, who am I? How am I supposed to do that? And everything that we see in Scripture is that's because of God's strength within us. God's not calling you to be faithful at home or the church or wherever you are because of who you are, because of your abilities, because of your strengths. God didn't save you because of what you bring to his team. And do you realize that? Like, we don't make God's team look better. God's team looks good because God's on it. Paul was counted faithful. Look at it. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, because he judged me faithful, appointing to me to his service. So you might read this and go, so, so he, he said that I'm faithful after he looked at my service. No. The whole context shows that's not right. God's given him strength at the same time of saving him and giving him strength, he's counted him faithful and appointed him to service. The whole context is, is who Paul was, and yet God still chose him, used him, said you're faithful. The reason Paul is faithful is because of God's strength in him. It's not about who Paul is. And the reason you can stand firm wherever you are and do the ministry that God has called you, to love your wife, to love your unbelieving husband, to endure with your children, to love those at work who are hostile, to love those within the church who sometimes we aren't very easily lovable, right? I mean, not here, of course, right? So, so to answer the first question, how do we do ministry? It's by God's strength. It's by daily coming back and reminding ourselves of the truth that the Spirit of God now lives in us, empowering us and gifting us for the work of the ministry. Every day, I need to know that through God's Word, and I need you to remind me of that so that I would not fall prey to the lies of Satan. And I wouldn't drift in my thinking and begin thinking, God chose me because of what I bring. Or, I can't be used because of who I am. So, that's the first question. So we understand that we do ministry by the strength of God. But now, as we go forth, as we serve as elders or deacons or ushers or, or in a million different ways within the church, or in a million different ways outside the church, what's our hope that people are going to change? That's what we're going to see in verses 13 through 17. Now here, Paul steps back a little bit. 
He basically said, this is my ministry, and the reason that I can do ministry is because of God's strength. Now he steps back and he says, let me just remind you who I was, Timothy. And so Paul is going to do this so that we can see the sufficiency and the power of the gospel, but he's also, he's going to show us three reasons why we can be confident that people will change. And what we're going to see is that the gospel is sufficient to save. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17. The first truth that we just see is God's grace is unconditional. So look at, look at how Paul jumps in, verse 13. He goes, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. I mean, he just jumps right in and describes who he was before coming to faith. Paul was one of those guys that you and I, we would look at and says, he's never going to be a Christian. There's no chance that guy's going to believe in Jesus. Have you ever thought about that with someone? You look at him and you go, there's no way. They're arrogant, they're prideful, they hate everything. And this guy actually hates Jesus and the church. In fact, the book of Acts chronicles his, his persecution of the church. In Acts chapter 7, the first martyr, Stephen is killed. Guess who's holding the coats of the men, approving of their actions as they stone him? Paul. In Acts chapter 8, we read that he ravaged the church. He literally dragged Christians outside of their houses to throw them into prison. In Acts chapter 9, we read that he breathed threats and murder against Christians. In Acts chapter 26, he's standing before King Agrippa. He's giving his testimony. And he's wanting, he's wanting the king to understand how God has changed him. And he goes, before I came to Christ, I tortured Christians and force them to recant their faith. We read about that stuff today in India, in China, in North Korea, where if a Christian is found, they're told, you will recant your faith or we will kill you today. That was Paul 2,000 years ago. He started that movement. And so the, Paul is one of those people. We look at this, there's no way. Not this guy. Paul hated the gospel with every fiber in his body. He was repulsed by Jesus and those who followed him. I mean, if anyone's going to be disqualified from being a part of the church or being a pastor in a church and leading others, I mean, let's just all agree, Paul would be on the list, right? I mean, we might say, well, maybe he can make it in the church. But to be the guy who plants them and pastors and shepherds them? But yet, then we read in verse 13, but I received mercy. We read that the grace, in verse 14, we read that the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love there in Christ Jesus. So the grace came upon him, was overflowing and filled him with faith and love, continued just to make him into the image of Christ. What we have here is Paul is saying, look, all the sins of Paul were not enough to hold back the floodgates of God's, God's grace. You see that? All of Paul's sins, not enough to hold back the floodgates of God's abounding grace. In fact, there's this lady, Julia Johnston. She wrote a hymn, which it would have been cool if we sang today, but we didn't, um, or we're not. Uh, but it's titled, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. We do that one, don't we? Yeah. It wouldn't be good if we, con yeah, I should talk to the worship leader sometime. She's my wife, so it would be helpful. Um, let me just read just a little bit of, from this hymn, and I won't sing it, because that would make this very torturous, but you feel free to sing in your head or however you want. Um, Marvelous grace, 
of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Do you know that song? Aren't you glad I didn't sing it? It's that abounding grace that that's why we're here right now. Like it's that grace. That's why we're here. That's why we gather each week. That's what unites us in a divided world. It's this grace. It's this grace, this abounding grace that gives us forgiveness of sins. It's this abounding grace that gives us everlasting life. It's the abounding grace that saves us. And so just to pause for a moment, do you know that grace? Do you know that this grace has come upon you? Have you believed in Jesus Christ and experienced his abounding grace overflowing in all of your life? What we read all throughout Scripture, it's because of our sin, our rebellious hearts, or even as Paul talks, our ignorance and unbelief, that that's why God sent his son Jesus to come from heaven to earth, that he would one day go to the cross where he would pay the price of our sin, the penalty of our sin, so that we who believe in him could be forgiven, so that we could receive his abounding grace. And what we understand all throughout Scripture, it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. If you trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. Do you know that? There's so many people that just fall into the lie of Satan that says, God doesn't want you, though. What we have in Scripture is it doesn't matter who you are or the sins that you have done or the sins that have been brought upon you. But God's grace is what overflows and what makes us new so that we'd go from sinner to saint. So we'd go from enemy to child of God. So I, I pray that if you're here and the lies of Satan, they're so prevalent that you would not fall prey to the lie that says God doesn't want you. That you wouldn't fall into the lie that says your sins are too much. That you wouldn't believe that the lie that says you've waited too long. You've done too much. It's too late for you. Just know this truth. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come to the cross and died for your sins and risen three days later, if you believe that and you desire to live for him, then know that you are forgiven. And that abounding grace is upon you. Amen, indeed. And we see, look at verse 15. This is Paul's point. He says, The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is his point. Paul's just bringing it in. Timothy, this is why Jesus came. It's so he would save sinners, the people in Ephesus. Paul looks at himself and he says, Look, there's no sinner greater than I. Paul is a walking testimony of the abounding grace of God. And guess what? So are you. So am I. Our testimony is no different. The very blood that saved Jesus is the same blood that saves you and I. Nothing but the blood of Jesus is what washes our sins away. This is what Philip Ryken said in his commentary on 1 Timothy. He said, Paul is not in some special category 
but only one in a long line of unpromising sinners who became productive servants in the kingdom of God. Every Christian has received what Paul received, mercy and abundant grace through faith. Praise God, right? That's you, that's me, and I love the line, but only in a long line of unpromising sinners. Again, it's not meant to flatter, right? That's you, me. We're just a bunch of unpromising sinners that God's grace and mercy comes upon, abounds upon us, and makes us alive. So we go back to the context. Because this, we got to realize, why is this here? This isn't just a personal testimony standing by itself, but there's a purpose for his testimony. So, why does Timothy have hope that the gospel will bring about change in Ephesus? Why is there hope for the Ephesian church? Why is there hope for you and me? Why is it people can change? Why can we endure in a difficult marriage? Why can we endure faithfully in a hostile work environment? Why and how is it that we can serve in a church fraught with problems? Like, what's our hope? It's because of God's unconditional, abounding grace. The reason we have hope when we share the gospel with our neighbor, our coworker, with family members, is because the gospel has power to give life. Isn't that good news? Like it's not your eloquence, which praise God for that, right? It's not your large logical argumentation. You ever feel like you just screw up a gospel presentation and the guy goes, man, that was amazing. And you're like, really? Did you not hear what I just said? Now, I tell you, it's that grace right there that makes preaching possible. Because there's so many times, I, I know I and many of the guys I know, man, we preach a sermon and we're just like, really wasn't that good? I know you guys know it. You're like, sometimes, man, that was, that was off. But the crazy thing is God uses that in incredible ways because of his abounding grace. So that's number one. One reason we have, we have hope that people will change, that if you're in a difficult marriage, you're in a hostile work environment. You have children who are just rebelling against the kingdom. We have hope because of the abounding grace of our God. Number two, we have hope because our God is patient. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul explains why God gave him mercy. He says, but I received mercy for this reason. So again, he's clarifying why God saved him. That in me, as the foremost, the worst Christian ever, or the worst sinner ever, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So, so what does that mean? Well, have you ever wondered why does God allow people to persist in sin? Why does he, um, have you ever wondered why he allows the persecution of his church? Why doesn't he just smite people right where they're at when they rebel against him? I mean, why doesn't he flex his divine muscles and throw some lightning bolts at those who profane his name and attack his church? Have you ever just wrestled with that? Like, come on. Like, don't endure this, God. Let them know that you are God. Show forth your power. The reason he doesn't is because he says, well, God is patient. The salvation of Paul displays the patience of our king. In fact, this is what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. So literally, he's saying, a lot of us sometimes think God is slow. But he's like, the Lord's not slow, but is 
patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So right now, the time we live in is the time for the proclamation of the gospel. It's the time for people to repent and believe in Jesus. The reason Jesus does not return right now is so that you and I can do the ministry he has given us. So that the gospel would go forth. He is patient in giving you time to grow in your love for the gospel. He is patient in giving you time to share the gospel with unbelievers that they would believe. The age that we live in, it's characterized by divine patience. Do you get that? Like God doesn't often just zap people into the kingdom. Like Paul kind of had one of those experiences on the Damascus Road, ready to kill some Christians, just another day for him, and God just flips the switch and changes them at that moment. And we all want that moment, right? Like that's what we want. We're sharing the gospel with a loved one, with a neighbor, and, and that's what we want. Because we feel like that would be the best way possible. But salvation is often not, a process, is often not an event, but it's a process. He slowly exposes our unbelief. He exposes our arrogance, our weaknesses. He shows us the futility of our idols, of the very things that we trust in. And then as he does that in this process of kind of peeling back our fingers over our idols, he then shows us the beauty of the gospel. That we then, like Paul, would cling to him. And we would see the abounding grace of God. So Paul is saying, Timothy, press on in your ministry. God's not going to change the church overnight. He's patient. And so we are to be patient as we also are calling others to repentance. Those who think that the God of the Bible is just characterized by, by anger and wrath and vengeance, they, they miss the Bible. Yes, God is angry. Yes, he has vengeance and wrath. But what we also see is he's patient and he's gracious. He's slow uh, to anger and abounding in love. And the time we live in is for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel, that the kingdom would go forth and that more people would know the gospel. That's the time we live in. So I just want to encourage you. You've been strengthened right now by the Spirit of God that you would take this, this grace, this abounding grace that's able to change people no matter who they are. And just because it takes a while for them to come, God's working in you, causing you to trust in him, to depend upon him as he works on the individuals that God has called you to, to serve and to love. That's number two. The third truth we find in verse 17. Paul's rehearsed his testimony. And he's so filled with praise that he breaks out into doxology. So these words are really the overflow of Paul's heart. But if that's all that we think they are, then we're going to miss it. Because we have to go back to why do we have it here? What's the context? He's encouraging Timothy. Stand firm, Timothy. You can endure the ministry. You can share the gospel. Why? Well, because there's this abounding grace that will change them. And God is patient right now. And for what Paul praises him. So this doxology is also the very means, is also the very guarantee of why we have hope. Look at it, verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the reasons we know 
that people change is because we have a God worthy of worship. Let me just walk through these super quick. King of ages, everlasting king, the one true king, his reign will never come to an end. And so his gospel, the abounding grace of this king is powerful because this king is powerful. Number two, immortal. It means that God's incorruptible. He's not like the milk in your refrigerator. That has an expiration date. It goes bad. And if you're in my house, at, 11, at, at 12 o'clock midnight, on whatever that expiration date is, I will pour that milk out. I had a bad experience with milk. On that day, it goes poured out. I don't care. It's expired in my house. Every single, it's going to be a full gallon. God made cows, they'll make more. Um, but God doesn't expire. He's never getting old. He's never running down. He's never slowing down. He's forever perfect, powerful, patient, faithful, gracious, loving, and just. He's not winding down. He's invisible. This is kind of one that's hard to wrap our minds around, but the fact that God is invisible and that he's present with us at every single moment. So Timothy, God's with you. Just because you don't see him, doesn't mean he's not with you, present, working. Just as he's present in your house, at your work, right here with us now. And he's the one true God. There is no rival. There's no battle of gods. The God of the Bible is real. And according to Scripture, all other gods are false. So how does this doxology function as the guarantee of our hope? It's this God who rules for everlasting eternity that strengthens you and me. We go out in his power and his authority. We proclaim his gospel, and he's the one who changes people. He's not slowing down. He's not getting tired. He's patient. This is why Paul went back into Lystra. God wasn't discouraged when Paul got stoned. God wasn't tired. Paul went back in because the immortal, invisible king was with him who changes lives. And that's our hope in our marriage. That's our hope at work. That's our hope in our neighborhood, on our soccer teams, in our high school, in our junior high, here in the church, that we have an immortal, invisible, all-powerful God who reigns supreme, who's empowering and strengthening you and I to go out every day and share his gospel. And so I just want to close and say, where are you serving? How are you serving in and outside the church? And possibly, in this, maybe you realize that you've forgotten that God has saved you for the purpose of ministry. Maybe you've become discouraged because of the resistance of those around you. Maybe you feel worn out. Maybe you feel tired. Maybe you feel like you've been in an uphill battle. And you're not sure that you've made any traction. You're wondering, is God actually working? And so if that's where you're at today, I pray you just be reminded of the truth of who God is. That he has strengthened you. The reason you endure is not because of your strength, but it's because God is in you. And the reason we have hope that people will change is because the abounding grace of our God. That he is working. He's working right now in our hearts, in our lives. And he's working in the hearts of those who he's called us to. John Patton was a missionary in the 19th century. He went to, uh, to a cannibalistic tribe. And he was 
He was ridiculed for going. Say it's a waste of time. Don't go, John. Well, within four months of going, his wife had died, his kids have died. But he turns to those who ridicule him and he says this, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. He goes, I will go because I know that there is hope in the abounding grace of our God. I'm going not in my strength. It looks ridiculous to go. I go because of the strength of God in me, and I go because he goes before me to change lives with his abounding grace. And that's how you and I go every single day. Let's pray and take communion. Father, we praise you. We praise you that you are God who rules on high. You are the king of the ages. There is no rival. There is no end to your reign. You are not elected. And God, you are immortal. You are invisible. And you are the one true God. And I just pray that our hearts would be made warm today because of your gospel. Because they're just reminding us that, Lord, you are the one who has saved us. You are the one who has given us life, and now you strengthen us so that as we go out, we would have hope that you would also give life to others. Lord, I pray that as you are patient, that we would be patient, knowing that you are working not only in us, but in the lives of others. May this text encourage us to love all the more in our marriages, to be more engaged here at church, to be more engaged as a missionary at our work, into wherever you call us. Father, to you be all glory.